Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and welcome to Lesson 30 in the series, The Gospel According to Moses, According to the Book of Exodus. We left off in Exodus 29, or in Lesson 29, we finished off Chapter 10, so let's read Exodus 11 starting at verse 1 and go through verse 11, which is the entire chapter. Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. So God's hammer is about to fall. This is it. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. God is saying, he, Pharaoh's going to drive you out. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I'm going to go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as never shall be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all your people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out from his land. Now it's very interesting, as we studied the Torah at this point, that at the end of chapter 10, in verses 28 through 29, Basically, Pharaoh chases Moses and Aaron out of the palace. He says, get away from me, because if I see your face again, you're going to die. I'm going to execute you. And Moses' statement right there at the end of chapter 10, in the New American Standard, Moses saying, you're right, I shall never see your face again. So, all of a sudden, we come up with these verses especially chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Because in verse 8, Moses is talking to Pharaoh. And all these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before you go out, etc. And after that, it says right there at the, verse, at, at the end of verse 8, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So it's as if we get a very interesting picture. Right at the end of chapter 10, it's as if Moses and Pharaoh did not part. But we get a peek into an amazing insight that God is telling Moses about the final 
awesome, overwhelming blow that he's going to bring upon Egypt. The hammer of God is going to come down one last heavy time. So someplace in these events, God is telling Moses about the final plague. Now the Torah is silent as to when all of this happened, so it's got to be very close. It could be right at that moment in, in Moses' spirit, right there at verse 29 in chapter 10, that all of a sudden this happens. We don't know. But in verses 4 through 8, Moses is telling Pharaoh what the Lord told him. So Moses had not left Pharaoh's presence yet. It's only after this that Moses leaves Pharaoh in his presence in extreme anger. Now as we continue to read, one thing I wanted to bring up when we get to the last verse of chapter 11, I want to bring something up in the King James Version. Because I want to show you that when we take a look at the translators who translated the King James, they had a certain perspective that the Hebrew contradicts. Let me show you. In the King James, in the New American Standard, it says this. This is chapter 11, verse 10. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of the land. Now that's New American Standard. King James is basically the same, but it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that Pharaoh did not let the sons of Israel go. Now the first thing is, is the word stiffened? It's not stiffened. It's not hardened. It's Kazakh again. We've been through this in previous lessons. Kazakh, the Strong's numbers, H33, 2388, he's giving Pharaoh the courage. He's encouraging his heart, actually his mind. Remember, heart is not Pharaoh's heart like we say today in the 21st century. Oh, you must follow your heart. You need to follow your feelings. No, absolutely not. That view is contradictory to what's happening here in the ancient Middle East. Heart, in Jesus' day, in the days of the Exodus, heart means someone's mind. So God is encouraging, giving courage to Pharaoh's mind to turn against his ultimate allegiance to the goddess Ma'at, the goddess of order, the goddess of peace, the goddess of Egyptian unity and righteousness. He's giving courage to Pharaoh to turn from his life's purpose, to turn from what Pharaoh thought was righteous in terms of his Egyptian worldview, or what was good in terms of the Egyptian worldview. God is trying to strengthen him to make the right decision. And then we read this so. So this, the implication is, by the translators of the King James, that God forced Pharaoh to this position. 
and the King James translators are pushing this view. <laughs> and it's very interesting. The word so is inserted by the translators. It had to agree with their view, their opinion as to what was going and gone. But again and again, the Hebrew helps us get to the reality of what's happening. The actual Hebrew in verse 10 is ve chazach yaveh et lev paro velo shilach et benei Israel me artso. And to do the best translation from the Hebrew to the English, and the Lord gave courage to Pharaoh's heart. And he, Pharaoh, did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. In Hebrew, there is no word so. Matter of fact, in the New American Standard, we read, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yet, that's not even there. The word is and. And encouraged did Yahweh give to Pharaoh's heart. Not yet, not so. The Hebrew grammar finally gives us a realistic, alternative, equivalent view. God loved Pharaoh in Egypt. Read this in Isaiah 19, verse 25. Egypt, my people, God calls, God calls them. Again and again, God did all he could to give courage to Pharaoh to turn, to let Israel go. Again and again, Pharaoh would not relent. It's not that God forced Pharaoh to this point of no return, as the translators of the King James Version and even a New American Standard Version and everybody that has taught the Exodus and the plagues if traditionally. We get to the Hebrew, and the Hebrew shows us that it's not that God forced Pharaoh to this point of no return. It was Pharaoh. We have to remember that God is a respecter of every individual. He's a respecter of persons. We have to remember John 3.16, God so loved the world, even Pharaoh, I'm putting that in there, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then we go to Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Here's God speaking to Moses about what he's like. This is very famous in Judaism. It's called the 13 attributes of God. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, if we keep the word so in there, it contradicts the attributes of God. God does not change. He says this in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. 
but so too for us. We're like Pharaoh. It's not God who's going to bring us to judgment. It's not God who's going to bring us to the brink. It's us. It's our own sinful nature, and thus our need for Messiah. Thus our need for Yeshua. Thus our need for a Savior. So let's take a look at two final concepts here in chapter 11. The first concept is really verse 2 of this chapter. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. Neighbor? The Hebrew word there is reah. Strong's numbers H7453. Could this mean the Egyptians? That God is calling the Egyptians the neighbors of the Hebrews? Now this first comes up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 22. This is at the burning bush. God is already predicting what's going to happen in the future. So God's telling Moses at the burning bush, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, uh, in Exodus 3, verse 22, the word reah, neighbor, is not used. It's a different Hebrew word. And it basically means a fellow resident. Uh, the implication, who were they living among? Uh, they were living among the Egyptians. But when we take this verse, Exodus chapter 3, verse 22, and now in chapter 11, verse 2, and then we're going to see this in chapter 12, verse 35. And let me read that right now for you, because in chapter 12, verse 35, it says, Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. For the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let, they, they let them have their request. And then again, there's the word again, thus they plundered the Egyptians. So we have three verses. Exodus 3, 22, 11, verse 2, and chapter 12, 35, and we come to the standard concept of let Scripture translate Scripture. And so, indeed, the conclusion is the Egyptians are the neighbors of the Hebrews. The neighbors. But wait a minute. A little bit later on, at Sinai, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, God teaches his people through Moses that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 34 of the same chapter, he says, and you will love the stranger as yourself. Now when you take these two verses together, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself, 
And then in verse 34, you shall love the stranger as yourself. The stranger is your neighbor. So God is teaching the Hebrews, guess who your neighbor is? The Egyptians. Wait a minute. They're trying to kill us. They're killing our, they're killing our sons. They've enslaved us. Our neighbor? What are you kidding? The stranger? The Hebrew word there is ger, G-E-R. That's the transliteration. That's how you pronounce it. Strong's number is 1616, H1616, and it's a resident alien. Somebody who came from a foreign country, a foreigner. And this I mean, this whole concept right here is huge. And that's why we have to stop to pay attention to this. Now, the rabbis say that a gur, and that's back in Leviticus 19, verse 34. Okay. Well, matter of fact, what they do in Leviticus 19, verse 18, and Leviticus 19, verse 34, they say a neighbor is a fellow religious Jew. These are the Orthodox. And the Orthodox also say that a Gur is a proselyte. In other words, it's a Gentile who's converted to Judaism. Those people you can love as yourself. But no! The Torah, God's own word, makes no distinctions like that. No such stipulations. Once again, we're faced with rabbinic opinion that is adding something to the Bible that the Bible does not say. Exodus 3, verse 22. Exodus 11, verse 2. Exodus 12, verse 35. God is calling the Egyptians the neighbors of the Hebrews. And this is why one must be extremely careful with Orthodox Rabbinic Midrash. Many times their opinions go against the Bible or add things to the Bible that aren't there. I remember I had an interesting uh, um, discussion with an individual and we were talking about Jacob and Esau. And remember Jacob was cooking red stew and Esau came along and Esau wanted to get some of that red stuff and he in quotes, traded his birthright. This individual came to me and said, oh yeah, we understand exactly why Jacob was cooking the red stew. And so I asked the person, really? <laughs> the Bible doesn't say. And this individual said, oh, the rabbis, they say that Abraham died that day the day that Jacob was making the red stew, that Abraham died. And the rabbis say, therefore, it was the duty of the firstborn son to make the meal for the mourners. So Jacob was actually doing the job as the firstborn. Esau was not doing it because it was the day that Abraham died. Now, that's all fine and well and good, and that's a fun story. Is it the possibility that Abraham died at about that time? Yes, it is. I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, Abraham probably died when Jacob was a teenager. 
But nowhere does the Bible say that the day that Jacob was making the red stew, that that was the day that Abraham died. <laughs> you just can't do that. But this individual, it was a Christian, was so taken in, and this person said, if the rabbis say it, it's got to be true. The rabbis made up a story that's not in the Bible, and we cannot verify it's true. So for us now, we're in a classic example. God is saying the Egyptians, non-Jews, pagans, these many who killed your sons are your neighbors. The rabbis say, oh, no, 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 no. Your neighbors are only fellow religious Jews. Or Gentile proselytes. Now this is why we have to be extremely careful with Orthodox Rabbinic Midrash. I mean, we got these two examples. One, where I was in discussion with this individual about Jacob and Esau when Jacob is making the red, the red stew. And here, the rabbis say no, it excludes all non-Jews who, who do not believe as themselves. It excludes all Gentiles who are not converts. And for us, God's ways are way beyond the sinful ways of us. And just as a comment, this is Orthodox Rabbinic Midrash. There are many, many deeply religious Jewish rabbis who are not Orthodox, who do not subscribe to the Midrash that becomes almost unbiblical. But you have to understand that in Judaism, the Talmud itself, which is really commentary on the Torah, is considered equal to the very words of God. And in some cases, for some, for some rabbis, it trumps the word of God. Now all of this, with regards to the Egyptian being, being called the neighbors of the Hebrews, really starts again in Exodus 3, verse 22. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, we saw this in that verse, in Exodus 3, verse 22, where it talks about the fact that you ask for this gold and the silver, and thus you're going to plunder the Egyptians. We, saw also, we also saw that in Exodus 12, verse 35. So the implication is, when we read the English, we're not reading the Hebrew again, God is going to do this to punish the Egyptians. God is, God is basically giving us the impression, if, if we're reading the English, that there's been years and years of slavery, years and years of abuse, and the Egyptians had free labor. God's people were taken advantage of. And this, only that this, the silver and this gold and all these riches was almost like payment for all of that free labor. Now, there's one great Jewish scholar. His name is Rabbi Joseph Hertz. 
And Rabbi Joseph Hertz, you can look him up on the internet and his background. He is an amazing Orthodox rabbinic scholar. So remember, I talked about the fact that I'm criticizing some Orthodox Midrash, but you have to understand, in many cases, there are great Orthodox rabbis who also help us with the Hebrew and understanding the reality of what's going on. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we have to be very careful. Now this Rabbi Joseph Hertz was the, the great, the lead rabbi in Great Britain. Uh, I recall, I think it was at the turn of the century, coming into the 20th century. Now he totally disagrees with this concept that God wanted to plunder the Egyptians. I have his Torah commentary, and on this verse, chapter 3, verse 22, Rabbi Joseph Hertz says, here's the phrase, you shall spoil the Egyptians. In the New American Standard, it says plunder the Egyptians. Rabbi Hertz goes on to say, this rendering should be replaced by the phrase, you shall save the Egyptians. Spoil the Egyptians or strip Egypt is an incorrect <laughs> nay, impossible rendering of the Hebrew text. The root, natsal, which is here translated spoil or strip, that word occurs 212 times in Scripture. And in 210 instances, its meaning is admitted by all to be to snatch from danger to rescue as to rescue from a wild beast, to recover property or that which has been plundered from you. So those words can only be translated in one and only one way based upon the proper use of the word Natsal. And you shall save the Egyptians. That is, clear their name, vindicate their humanity. Bitter memories and associations would have clung to the word Egyptians in the mind of the Israelites as the hereditary enslavers and oppressors of Israel. But a friendly parting and generous gifts, however, would banish that feeling. The Israelites would come to see that the oppressors were Pharaoh's and his courtiers not the Egyptian people. They would be enabled thereby to carry out the command to be given to them 40 years later, thou shalt not abhor the Egyptians. This is in Deuteronomy 23, verse 8. It is for such reasons that the Israelites are bidden to ask their neighbors for these gifts in order to ensure such a parting and friendship and goodwill with this consequential clearing of the name and the vindication of the honor of the Egyptian people. Hertz is showing us that this is a coming of the Hebrews to their Egyptian neighbors and asking for a free will gift 
It'll be a means of bringing Israel and Egypt close. Israel will leave seeing the goodwill of the Egyptians. Going to leave not seeking revenge, not seeking reparations. To leave on good terms, a gift, a blessing by the ones who enslaved them. And thus bringing, <laughs> I'll use the, the, the Egyptian word, ma'at, order and peace between Israel and Egypt. And I'm going to actually substitute ma'at for shalom. The shalom of Adonai between Egypt and Israel. Now this idea of loving your neighbor, this takes us all the way to Jesus. He expands upon this himself. He verifies Malachi 3.6. In Malachi 3.6, the Lord says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Now we're going to continue with this concept. Remember, there are two concepts I want to deal with. And we're not done with this one yet. We'll finish this in Lesson 31. And we'll also deal with the second concept. The second concept is, who is the Pharaoh of the Exodus? So until then, until Lesson 31, I wish you shalom.